0: We're continuing on in our uh, series Mimic and Model and uh, our leadership series that we're finishing off this semester with. Wild, we're on our last series for the year, which is exciting. And uh, would you please welcome the one and only, Kim Quigley. I got props tonight. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, do we have any daddy's girls in the house? Daddy's girls? No, just myself? One. Oh, you too, Alex? Yeah, daddy's girls. Yeah, we got some. Okay, I'm a daddy's girl. I remember, like, I just loved being with my dad. I'm cool with my mom. I love her. Uh, But I'm a bit of a daddy's girl. Just in case you're wondering about my relationship with my mother. Bev and I are good. Um, but I remember, like, as a kid, like, I would be three or so, and my dad had this old razor, like an old, like, you know those old ones that you put, like, a single blade in, and then you, like, screw, like, you screw the bottom together, and then he gave me one of those sans razor, and I would sit at the, like, a little, little boy would do, and I would shave my face with my dad. (laughs) (laughs) When he would shave, I would shave. And, uh, and I just loved being with my dad. And I loved being with my dad when he would do fixy things around the house. Um, I would, uh, when he would like hang pictures, I wanted to be there. When he'd like fix holes that I put in the wall, because <laughs> that happened, I would, I would help him out. And, um, and that's like, I've just, I've always done that. Like whenever he's working on the car, I want to be with my dad working on the car right? Like he taught me how to change the tire and, and he just, you know, he made sure that I had a toolkit and like all of those things um, I did with my dad. So I learned all sorts of things from my dad. Art is his name. Well, uh, last year, maybe a year and a half ago, my brother Glenn and I, we bought a cottage. right there. That's our, our, cute, our cute little cottage at Brayside Camp in Paris, Ontario. Now, this cute little cottage with all of its blue little accents care of me and that was, it was not Glenn's doing, it was my doing. Me and Giant Tiger for all of our Ontario people. All right. Uh, so anyways, we bought this cottage, but this cottage wasn't really up to a place where we wanted it to be. There needed some fixing to be done. And um, and so I, I knew last last year, last summer, when I was going back to Ontario for vacation, I knew that I was going to be using my vacation to do renovations on a cottage. And so I remember, like, talking about, oh, we're going to do renovations. Only I don't know how to do renovations. I haven't, other than hanging pictures and maybe, like, slapping some mud on a wall and painting, I've never really done renovations. And so, you know, like, we're taking a look. We go into this cottage, this little teeny tiny little cottage. And I was like, there's, like, this um, molding around the side I was like, that's so ugly. And I just grabbed it and I ripped it off the wall because I figured it's my cottage now. I can do these things. And so I just started ripping things off the wall. Um, and I noticed that like things actually, once I started to rip things off the wall, that things actually were kind of bad. Like, you know, when you, know, when you start to do renovations, you start to realize, has anybody been in this process where you start to realize that things are actually worse Uh, Like a paint, a a coat of paint actually can't cover up, you know, the water damage in the wall. And so we, we, we found water damage in the wall. So we started to cut out drywall. Next picture, please. There's the wall with half of the wall gone. So our tiny little cottage, we ripped out half the walls all the way around. No walls. Water damage under that window with the fan in front, and there's art carrying a sawhorse. Yep. Yeah. So uh, we ripped out all the all, all the all the stuff, and we have like a little drywall knife, which my dad said, "Here, this is a drywall knife. Start cutting." So I started cutting, and we got it all four feet. Because for those of you who may not know, drywall comes four by eight. Did you know that? I learned it because my dad told me. Uh, And so we cut it up four feet high so that we could just like slide her on in. And uh, and so my dad, he's like, well, it's your cottage. So you guys do it. We're like, we don't know how to put drywall in. And so he's like, okay, well, what you do is you take the four by eight and then you put it sideways. You put it in. We just cut it. We mark, we measure, and we cut, and we put it in. And so he's, so we he, like, we cut, we measure, we cut, um, measure t- twice, cut once. We didn't do that, and then we learned to measure <laughs> twice, cut once. And uh, and so, anyways, we get things put like it's ready, right? Like it's we're holding it up against the wall, but we just need to adhere the drywall to the wall. And so then my dad. You know, like, he hands me the drill. And he's like, okay, well, here you go. And I was like, yes! I was so excited. And uh, and he's like, okay, well, you know, you're going to have to mark where the studs are. So, like, get your pencil out. You got to, like, measure where the studs are. So that because you gotta take the screw, the dry raw screw, screw, and put it in and then like screw it in. But you need to do that into the stud, right? Yeah, you need to do it into the stud. And so you gotta find out where the stud is. So perhaps you might be able to see, oh, he's right there. Ho ho! Choked night Um So perhaps you could see where the stud was at the bottom of the floor, because sometimes the the drywall doesn't hit the actual bottom of the floor, and that's okay. That's all right. That's not a bad thing, necessarily. But you have to, like, knock the wall, right? So my dad's like, this is how you knock the wall. And I'm knocking the wall, just like art. And I was like, ooh, I hear the stud. He's like, yeah, just, like, make a notch with a pencil, and then I notched it, and then he had his pencil, and I had my pencil, just like he had his razor, and I had my razor, and I went, oh. and then I put it in my ear, like he put his in his ear, and then, and it was quite cute, because here I was, this 40-year-old woman, like I was two years old again, with my leg, you know, my tape measure, which happens to match me this evening, you know, and I was like, tape measuring things, I am... Um, Forty-six inches away from there, and um, putting it in my pocket because that's what art does. And I'd walk around with my pencil in my ear and my tape measure, and I'm knocking, knocking the walls, and then I'm ready to go. Put my nail. I like hold it here, you know, because you got to hold it or else it's gonna fall. Screw, screw, not nail. Good, you're listening. Excellent. And so I. I get down, I, I put it right where I put the notch in, and I'm just about ready to go. He's just wait, you just gotta hold on just a minute. He said, these, sometimes you can go, like if you're not careful, if you're not used to the drill, like sometimes it can get away from you. So you wanna be careful. So you might wanna just go a little bit slow just to get a feel of it. I was like, okay, Art says to go a little slow. I'll go a little slow. So I like put the screw in and I go a little slow. And I'm feeling really good. It's going in. So I go a little bit faster. It's like, whoa, you don't want to go too fast because what's going to happen is if you go too fast, the screw is actually going to bust right through the drywall and it's just going to like go in and it it won't actually hold the drywall to the stud. It's going to go all the way through the drywall, thus not adhering the drywall to the stud. You follow? And I was like, okay, all right. So then how do I make sure... That it's in far enough, because you need to make sure that the screw is in far enough, but not all the way through. So, because I didn't know any of these things. Perhaps you know all of these things. I didn't know these things. And so, he's like, well, what you got to do is you, like, you get there, you move slow, you get comfortable. And then what you do is you just do a little, oh, a little, that's it. Just a little tap, tap. You tap it in. Like that. And so I, oh, okay, great. So careful. You don't want to. And then what happened was, is I put it right through. (laughs) And he's like, oh, that's okay. That's all right. Just put it, hit the button, put it in reverse. And then do it again. Find a new spot. So I, like, screwed all kinds of screws into those walls. Like crazy. I was loving the drill. It was awesome. I, like, love renovations. And then one time, I wasn't doing this part. I was doing something else. I forget what. And Glenn was now on the drill. And so he's getting ready. He's got the screw. He's notched it. Put his pencil in the ear. And then I said, wait, Glenn, you want to be careful. Because what can happen is, is if you go too fast you can go through the drywall, and it's just a screw into a stud, and it's not gonna adhere the drywall to the wall. And you're just gonna have to hit the reverse button, and then put it back, and then he said, okay, great, thank you so much. And I was like, yeah, it's all about the It's great. And these are some of the things that I learned from my dad as I was renovating the cottage. And this, right, my friends, it's like the kingdom of God. The connection, the connection. Okay, God is building a kingdom, all right? And he's invited us to be a part of building the kingdom of God. And he has given us an example. He has shown us how to knock for the studs. He's shown us how to notch for the studs. He's shown us, just go slow, and then do a little. He's shown us what that means and how to live out our lives for him and to do that, right? We've got we've got things that we can put in our toolbox. We've got things that we can, like, help us hear. He's modeled that for us so that we can mimic him as we build the kingdom of God. Now, as Gavin talked about last week, Paul edifies the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians 5. And he says, you've imitated God. It says this in chapter one, verses six and seven. He says that you became imitators of us and of the Lord, you've learned that for you you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy and given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model of all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. They have watched. They have watched their father. They've watched Jesus. They've watched the apostles and they've picked up their idiosyncrasies. They've picked up the character of Jesus, and they're now modeling it, and they're becoming uh, an example to others. This is our call. We are to follow the model, imitate Jesus, mimic him, imitate the apostles, mimic them, and then model it for other people. And that's the building of the kingdom. So let's go to our text and take a look at our whole text in chapter five, and we'll read from verse 12. And I'm gonna read it from the screen. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you Hold them in the highest regard, in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and everyone else. Rejoice always, Pit Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you, is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all of God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So, Gavin started off our text uh, looking at um, that we are to uh, honor our leaders. That we are to respect those in authority. And that uh, we need to heed their admonishment and that for leaders, we, we were encouraged to live life worthy of our cult. Work hard as leaders. Now, that was last week. But we see Paul makes a bit of a shift of his, like, of his attention. And so as he makes this shift in his direction, while we still have this understanding that we need to come under those who are in authority to us, Paul edifies the church to step into their own authority and the responsibility of their influence. Paul is identifying that the authority of pastors and leaders does not relieve members from responsibility. It doesn't relieve people from caring for others. Submission to authority doesn't remove our leadership responsibility as Christ-centered in a Christ-centered community. One commentator says this: Paul likely sought, or likely, likely sought through these directions in verses fourteen and fifteen, which we're going to take a look at tonight. He sought to give the whole community a sense of pastoral responsibility and leadership. So he moves from this kind of understanding, you're a leader, you're a follower, and he says, you're leaders. Now, lead. That's what he's saying. And as Paul mimics the influence of Jesus and he models Jesus, he is diligent to communicate the mutual leadership and responsibility that Jesus has given us. And he talks about how we're supposed to submit to one another, Paul talks about. And he talks about how we are to serve one another and how we are to build one another up, that there is a mutual responsibility. There's mutual leadership. And Paul is all about this mutual leadership and responsibility. For one another and he's about this he's about this because that's what jesus is about jesus commissioned each and every one of us to preach the gospel jesus has empowered all of us by the holy spirit to share his light in the darkness jesus has given all of us the leadership responsibility to, uh, to love one another. And when we love one another, we show that we are his disciples. That's what Jesus is all about, mutual leadership. That's what Jesus showed us. That's his example. And Paul urges our brothers, like the brothers and sisters in, in the Church of Thessalonians, or whatever, and you and me, to mimic that, to follow that model of mutual leadership. Not to be passive. It is no longer time to be passive in the church. We must step into our leadership. We must step into the responsibility that has been given to each and every one of us. And so it For you, you might be thinking, well, I don't know if I'm going to have an internship. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. We're talking about leadership. How am I supposed to put this into practice? It doesn't matter. If you have an internship this summer, lead. If you don't have an internship this summer, lead. If you know where you're going, grads, you have a job, you have a ministry position, lead. And if you don't know where you're going, lead. We must lead. And Paul gives us some really clear, a list. This is what you do. This is how you should lead. So we're gonna go right through all five of them. All right, well, one's like five and a half, okay? So this is what he says. I want you to warn the idle. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Choose kindness over retaliation. That's how we lead. That's how we lead. So this is what it says. I'm like in verses 14 to 15, this is pretty much verbatim what it says. Those five and a half, five lists is verses 14 and 15. So let's start with warn the idol. Okay, so just as the audience and us, by virtue of the wonderful gifts that the Holy Spirit does, because He uses Scripture to speak to the original audience and uses Scripture to speak to us today, they are encouraged to listen and heed the admonishment of their leaders. Remember we talked about that last week if you were here. and It's like uh, to uh, put in or to warn or to uh, to put into the mind. That's what we are to do from, from those who are in authority to us. We are to heed their admonishment. Then he says, oh, warn each other. Heed the warning and the admonishment of one another. And this still is, it's the same concept. It's the same words. Put into the mind to choose God's best. Put into the mind to choose God's best. For Paul, the word idle means um, idle and disruptive. It doesn't mean laziness really. Not really. What it means and where it's coming from is it has this like, first century B.C. sort of connotation that has everything to do with athleticism. And so this word idle really means to be half-hearted or undisciplined. That's what idle means, to be half-hearted or disciplined. It speaks of the disregard for the work and the discipline that it takes to be an athlete. That's what it is. And so Paul commands the church, and we are commanded then to warn each other, to warn those who are choosing to disregard the teachings of Jesus to the point of being undisciplined in their life or disruptive. So this summer, prior to ripping open the, ca- the cottage, I'm sitting on my parents. They also have a cottage at this camp. And we're sitting on their deck. And I'm eating their pie and drinking their tea. And I'm having a fabulous start to my vacation. It's wonderful. And I'm sitting there with my parents. And I'm swinging on the porch swing. It's wonderful. It's great. Watching the sun go down. It's lovely. My dad looks over to me and he says, you know... If you want to be able to enjoy your cottage at all this summer, uh, you're gonna have to get to work, eh? And I was like, Yeah, I know, I know. There's so much to do. I said, Yeah, like whenever you want to start, I'll, I'll help you. Yeah. Okay. Okay, brothers and sisters, we are to step into the responsibility that God has given us to each other to build one another up. And there may be a time when you see your friend is idle, where your friend is disregarding the truth that Jesus has for them. And you may need to say to them, if you want to enjoy the blessings that God has for you, you need to do some work. That is the level of authority that God is inviting us into collectively, mutually. Which which means, okay, so like that first off, that's a little bit heavy to like say that to somebody. But that means that you might be on the end of that line. You might be the one that's receiving the, hey, if you want to receive the blessing that God has for you, in fill-in-the-blank, let's just say passing this year. If you want to receive the blessing of passing your classes, you're going to have to do the work. Ooh. That's, the, that's what he's calling us to do, warn the idol. Warn. Whew. Okay, Th- this is... This is authority, right? We like the idea of leadership when we can, like, stand up here, right, and I can say to you, if you want to pass your classes, do your homework. means nothing. Like, it's easy for me to say if I'm up here, if I'm having a conversation with you face-to-face, there's a different type of tension. Not tension, but there's a different type of weight. In that conversation. But let me tell you, this is not, this type of leadership is not a leadership that lords over. It's a mutual leadership, which means I'm not holding something above you. I'm not holding this above you. I'm not telling you I gotta figure it out. I'm telling you I see, I see something. You know, if you if you want to experience this, watch out, right? If you don't wanna just drive the screw in the stud and not hold the drywall, affix the drywall to the wall. You just may want to go a little slower. <sighs> right? Like it's warning. It's it's a kindness. It's a gentleness. And this is a gentleness that's not just coming from Paul, right? This is coming from Jesus. We see Jesus talking about. Don't go half-hearted, Jesus says. We could even back it a bit even further. From the Old Testament, we have this, don't go half-hearted. Don't disregard what God has for you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, with all your strength. Don't be half-hearted. Now, Paul talks about this. He even encourages them in a chapter before, in chapter four, to work hard, work with your hands, live a quiet life, build a good like relationship in your community. Like just, just work hard, that's what he's saying. But that's what Paul modeled. He was a tent maker and an apostle. Jesus, craftsman and a savior. Jesus shows us what it means to work hard hard. We heard like first semester when Jesus healed uh, the man on the Sabbath. What did Jesus say? My father, he works. He never stops working. I'm going to work too. He always is working. He healed, he fed, he preached, he provided, he created. He modeled what it means to work wholeheartedly, to be devoted wholeheartedly. That's what Jesus modeled for us. He's warning us, don't be idle. So, what does this mean for you and for me? Well, when you're working on your papers, like let's talk real talk for a second for those of you who are students here. You got papers to do, you're freaking out. Don't stop. Don't stop. Work on your papers. Okay. The reason why this matters as you're typing this paper that you don't care about, the reason why writing your paper anyways matters is because you are building up the muscle of discipline. And the reason why you are writing your papers is you are building up the muscle of being diligent because you have a responsibility. And the reason why, like you're just typing away and you think this is never gonna matter, It absolutely is, because what you're building is character. Because character matters when you're in Poland, and when you're in Czech Republic, and when you're in France, and when you're in Germany. Character matters because you need to work hard when you're there. Character matters when you're doing your internship because you gotta work hard on your internship because that's what you're supposed to do. And your character matters when you've started your first pastoring job because you need to work hard. Don't be idle. Now, this isn't just an ethics of tasks, okay? So don't hear this as just being behavior modification or I just need to do, 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 do. That's not what this is about. This is about character. Because when we are diligent with the things that feel small, we are diligent with the things that are big. We are diligent with the things that are big. So in your devotions, just because you're stressed out that you've got a paper, don't give up on your devotions. Just because you've got lots going on and you feel like you wanna give up, do not give up on your mental wellness journey. Do not give up on your quest for godliness. Don't get idle. Don't forget the truth that Jesus has for you. I know what it's like to be really tired. I know what it's like when I just want to not work hard. We all know it, yes? Collective agreement. We know what it's like when we don't want to work hard. Right, we mutually get it, which means we mutually have the leadership to say, I can see that you're you're not doing your homework and it's due tomorrow. You may want to put down the Netflix. Step away. Do your work, right? It's this mutual appreciation. We're coming from the same place, and so we can lead from the same place, right? Okay, now let's, that's my biggie. We can just motor on now. Okay, second, encourage the, dis, the dishearted. Dishearted. this word really means little quantity of soul. That's what it means, little quantity of soul. So we are to encourage those who have little quantity of soul. This is very much about, like, this is Paul's heart. In chapter three of 1 Thessalonians, he talks about how he's so concerned about these, the, the church's heart that he sends Timothy. He's so concerned. So he sends Timothy, finds out they're good. Oh, woof, 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 woof. right? He's so, he's so concerned. Paul, or sorry, Jesus shows the concern. In John chapter 16, he said, I've told you that, thi- that these things, I've told you these things so that you're gonna have some peace because you're, you're gonna have some trouble you're gonna have some trouble, but take heart, have courage, have more quantity, because I've overcome the world. Jesus models for Paul, and Paul models for us what true encouragement looks like. It means being there, it means reminding of the truth of who Jesus is. It's no sweet platitude, like slay or slay, right? Like, it's not that. Like, you got this. Like, way to go, bro. Uh, I wouldn't say that. But anyways. Um, it is to speak truth, to encourage, to add quantity to the soul. Now, um, back when I was a student here, I, for a graduation gift, I gave myself a gift of a bungee jump. That's what I did. So I was really, really excited about it. That's me. My graduating gift to me—that's me bungee jumping. Woohoo! Now I was really, 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 really excited about this. However, I was a little bit nervous. I didn't—I was—I felt a little bit of, you know, low quantity, little quantity. So what I did was I went with two friends, Matthew Price and Aaron Rorda, one of our missionaries, one of our pastors. And what I did was Matthew went first, I went second, Aaron went third. And the reason why I did that was I wanted to create a mimic model cycle. This is an encouragement mimic model cycle. So Matthew went so that I could see somebody go before me and not die, (laughs) right? So I I wanted to see how it was done, awesome. I wanted the responsibility that someone was coming behind me so that I had to do it too. And so there was this incredible, wonderful mimic and model cycle that my, like, so Matthew's jump encouraged me and I got them, I mustered up the courage to jump. And then my courage encouraged Aaron and he mustered up the jump to jump. And it was so wonderful. And we were now in this great encouragement cycle. Fast forward 16 years, this happened last summer. Hey, Gavin, it's the only one I got, sorry, of you. Gavin, he went first. Next, I went second, Mark went third. Next picture. There we are. There's our courage cycle right there. That's our courage cycle. And because I was surrounded by somebody who encouraged me and I had the responsibility to encourage somebody else, I was taking a big jump. And there it is. Yes. We are to lead each other by encouraging each other. Put yourself in an encouragement cycle. And so this is what we, why, what we can do to encourage one another. We can, this is why we read scripture. This is why we read scripture. This is a great, like, if you're like having some trouble with like your own personal devotions, just read scripture with your friends. Read scripture with your friends. This is great because we get to see the presence of God, the truths of God do, working in people's lives in scripture. And as we've sang tonight, the same God who did it then will do it in us. Encourage the soul. Secondly, this is why we need to tell our story. This is why we take time to hear stories like Sarah so that we can be encouraged, so that the quantity of our soul will increase. This is why we preach the word of God so that we will have grads like Cammie who says, I need to believe that God works in the small things because I need him to work in the small things. This is why we preach the gospel, why we share our story. So here's what my, if I can suggest you do something. Number one, It does feel, Jesus invites us into this incredible adventure to live for him. It's an incredible adventure, but it does feel like we maybe have a bit of an elastic cord wrapped around us and that's about it. It can feel a little bit daunting. So get yourself into an encouragement cycle. Have people who've gone before you to speak into your life. Have people coming behind you so that you can speak into their life or people that you're journeying with to speak into their life, to bring quantity to the soul. Then I think everybody should do this. Number one, if you have yet to be baptized, get baptized this summer. Whether you're interning or whether you're going home to your home church, get baptized, tell your story. Because that encourages the souls of others. That's how you can lead. Get baptized. Now, if you've already been baptized, talk to your pastor. Ask to share your testimony. Like, can I encourage you? It'd be so cool if everybody came back from ne- or next year, who everybody's coming back. They're like, I told my testimony. Like, everybody, tell your testimony. That's how we can encourage and increase the quantity of the soul. Next help the weak. So Paul doesn't really, like, it doesn't break down what the who the weak is, but really it just gets to, like, just help people. (laughs) So if somebody is sick, help them. If somebody is struggling, help them. If somebody's struggling with temptation, help them. If somebody needs drywall, help them. Like, help them. But to the discomfort of his family, his friends, his culture, Jesus was an incredible helper. He picked his disciples. He touched the leper. He met the woman at the well. He went to Zacchaeus' house. He helped the woman from Syrophoenician. and helped her, her daughter. He healed the demon-possessed. He chose to reveal himself to Mary Magdalene. He is a helper. He spoke about helping in the Good Samaritan with the... the the parable of the sermon of the goats and the sheep. He talks about helping with the lost coin, the sheep and the son. This is who Jesus is. He's a helper. In Matthew, sorry, in John chapter nine, this is where Jesus heals the man who was born blind. And Brian Zand, who is the author of The Unvarnished Jesus, says this, when the disciples asked Jesus Who was to blame for his blindness? Was it the man's sin? Was it his parents' sin? Jesus dismissed their question. And Jesus was saying that when observing, when we observe people's suffering, the question isn't who's to blame. The question is, how can we help? The question isn't, whose fault is this? The question isn't, who can I cancel? That's not the question. The question is, is how can I help this person who is in need, who's suffering? As followers of Jesus, who have mutual leadership, we are also called to mutual suffering. That's what we're called to as well. And so we co-suffer. We co-labor in the suffering. It's not the time for theological stone throwing. The time is to help. And the church's responsibility is meant to be different. It's meant to be different. We're supposed to roll up our sleeves and help. And my friends, if we actually live this out, we are going to live a life of discomfort because helping people isn't super fun. It's not. It's not super fun. Get ready for it. It's gonna be awesome and it will be, but it's gonna be discomfort. It's gonna be uncomfortable. But if we wanna be like Jesus, if we want to mimic what has been modeled for us, we get into the discomfort and we help. So, Omega, and those who are going on your trip, how can I help? That should be your big question. How can I help? Right? There should be a time, like you're busy helping, 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 helping. Etc. that's you're there for. That's why you flew across the world. That's why you've waited three years. You're going to help. And then you're going to sleep, and then you're going to help again. Those of you who have interns or internships, you're going to help. And you're going to help hard. Because that's what you're there for. For those of you who are leading a church, ministry, you're going to help. and You're going to help hard. This is what we do. We help. That's what we're called to. Don't, when we feel the moment where we're like, I think I'm out, check yourself before you wreck yourself because then you're sliding into idle. Right? Be patient with everyone. He says, be patient, be very patient with all of them. There is nobody that's outside of the realm of patience, even the people who tick us off, even the people who annoy us. There is nobody that is, <laughs> that is left out of this. We are to be patient with everyone everyone. And what's really cool is when it talks about being patient with everybody, it means in every direction in which we have leadership. So that means that for those of us or for those who are we are leading, we have patience for those we're leading. For those people who we're leading mutually with, we have patience with them too. For those who are leading us, who we feel like they should know better, we have patience for them too. We have patience for everyone. And could you imagine what it would be like if we had more patience? This is where my mind went. If we had more patience, how we could be transformed as a church. The argument would never erupt, the criticism would never be thought, the post would never be uploaded, the person would never be canceled, the pastor would never be judged. The person would be welcomed again. The relationship would never actually need to be restored anyways. The misunderstanding would be avoided. The product of our patience is peace and joy. It's beauty. The thing of it is, is patience happens over and over and over and over and over again with the same person. Like, that's how patience happens, right? Like (laughs) Nathan could take me off, and then I have to be patient with him, and then I'll be like, okay, I'm done with Nathan. I'm done. He's got my, but no, he's going to take me off again, because we're going to be in a car for three weeks. At some point, he's going to drive me nuts, probably the opposite way, let's be honest, but so Nathan, you got to be patient with me, but it's going to happen over and over and over again, because that's how patience works. It happens over and over and over again, and over again. And it's annoyingly so. And yet we are called be patient with everybody. Always be patient. So when you're serving, when you're serving, and you are impatient, impatient, not impatient, impatient, apologize. I'm sorry. I was impatient. Apologize. And then think about how maybe we can be a bit more in- patient. Like, what is it that we need to fix for it within us to be patient? We maybe need to slow down. We maybe need to recognize our own stuff, our own little triggers and buttons. And then lastly, let's choose kindness over retaliation. This is what Jesus showed us when he went to the cross. This is what Jesus showed us, choosing you and me. Because we could have been, he could have avenged our sin and he chose not to. He chose kindness. Now in Roman culture, it would have been to turn the other cheek, you know, turn the other cheek, it's very biblical, to do that would have been like social and societal suicide because there was this sense that you have to write and maintain your personal like accomplishment, your personal status, and not much has changed, has it? We often feel like we have to maintain our personal status and make sure that our reputation is all good. And so what we end up doing is we choose revenge because somebody has wronged us instead of letting the Lord take care of it. And that, quite frankly, is anti-gospel. we have to choose kindness, not revenge. I'm gonna ask the band to come on up. There's going to be times that we're gonna be faced with where where we want to respond in anger where we want to make sure that everybody knows exactly who I am and what my, like, my reputation is. And I want to write that. And what I do is often we're really passive aggressive about making somebody else look bad or feel bad. The scripture is calling us to lead well from a place of character, to show kindness, and to let God take care of it. And it's in those moments that we are after Jesus' own heart. We're following his example, because that is exactly what he's done for you and for me. So it might be that you need to do some reflecting and ask the Lord, am I holding like a vengeful heart towards somebody? Perhaps I need to give that up. Now the band, they've got a song that they're going to play. But this is what I'd love for us to do is, would you stand with me? And Nicole, could you throw those five, that list of five back up there? There's been a lot. Paul really packed a punch here. And there's a lot here. But this is my, this is my call to you. What resonated for you? What resonated for you? What's the Holy Spirit saying? You need to, you maybe need to work on this a little bit. If you want to experience the blessing, you maybe need to do a little bit of work here. And I'm going to invite you to come on up, bring that to the Lord, but I'm not inviting you to do that alone because I'd really like for us to lead together well so that when you see your friend and they're praying here, I want you to come and pray with them so there should never be somebody here alone. Because we're leading together, we're praying together. We're gonna warn together, encourage together, because that's what we're called to, mutual leadership. So the space is open. What's God doing in your heart? What do you need to bring to him? and have a friend join you.